We are going to continue on our exodus with Moses. I'm going to sneak over here right next to Nick. And it seems like an odd time for us to be doing this with it being Lent season, to be spending all this time journeying with Moses. It's a little strange, focusing on his life. And it's also the perfect time to consider this prophet of God who received and shared the law for the people, a law that God gave them to teach them how to live, a law that Jesus summed up with his two commandments. And I'm going to mention, I don't have the, the um, sermon slides up on my little screen here yet, FYI. But this is the same prophet who was almost murdered as a baby because the Gentiles feared the people of God. It's a very similar story, I hope, as you know, Jesus' story, also a baby who was threatened in his life by King Herod. Thank you. <laughs> um, for a similar fate. They were afraid of a prophecy that they had heard about a Jewish baby. Moses and Jesus both went up to high places to be more present with God. Moses and Jesus would give their whole lives for an ungrateful people that they were trying to help. And Moses and Jesus, both travelers in the wilderness. So Lent season may be just the right season to get to know Moses a little bit better and look to his connections with Jesus and their connections that speak into our lives today. There's going to be a lot for us to learn on the way. So let us start by praying. Holy God, as you are with us, we pray that we may be better able to be with you on our journeys so that together we may hear you and see what you have to teach us. May we hear this lesson in your word for us this day. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. So from the day that Moses freed the Israelites, we've already talked about that, but until then and the day he died, just shy of this promised land, Moses experienced wilderness wandering for 40 years, for years, not for 40 days. That was Jesus' story. And unlike Jesus, who died in his 30s, Moses was an old man, 120 years old when he died. But those 40 wilderness years taught him and God's people with him lessons that have endured for millennia, lessons for us today. So school is in session as we focus on our lessons from the wilderness. And the first lesson that I think maybe the people should have known then is that the best route from Egypt, where they left, to Canaan, where they were headed, was about one month. If you went on the trade route, there was a 130-mile-long trade route that ran along the Mediterranean coast. Moses led people through the desert wilderness for 480 months, not one month. And I don't know if he was using an old version of MapQuest when he did that, or maybe he, yeah, I guess he, was, he thought he had the driving directions, but it was really the walking ones. Arriving in 40 years, that can't be right. The lesson here is don't rely on technology. If you don't know, ask for directions. After 39 years and 11 months of stubbornly wandering the desert, Moses' wife decides to ask for directions to the promised land. That's really not the lesson, <laughs> but also good for us to know. Our first lesson actually starts with the Exodus, chapter 18. Moses sat as judge for the people, while the people stood around him from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. 
When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make known to them the statutes and the instructions of God. Moses' father-in-law, instead of saying, wow, that's really impressive, he said to him, what you're doing is not good. You will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people with you. For the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel and God be with you. You should represent the people before God, and you should bring their cases before God. Teach them the statutes and instructions, and make known to them the way they are to go and the things that they are to do. You should also look for able men among all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, they hate dishonest gain. Set, them over, set over them as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them sit as judges for the people at all times. Let them bring every important case to you, but decide every minor case for themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will go to their home in peace. Lesson number one, Jethro's advice to Moses. Moses fell right into the trap that a lot of leaders fall into going it alone, being in charge of and responsible for everything. I think I've asked you before if we have any over-functioners who are in this room, and if you don't know what that means, think about if you find yourself as the one who is always getting it done, the one that everything is always left to to do, if you think that you get stuck with all the responsibility, then you're probably the over-functioner with the people around you. I'm guilty of this, but I learned a long time ago that the more that I do, like Moses said, I am doing all this, the more that I do, the less opportunity that I'm giving to other people to serve and to have a role. And Jethro sees all these capable people around, just like I do when I look at you guys, all these people with talent and passion and skills to serve. He sees them and says to Moses, they need opportunities that they don't have because Moses is not letting go of anything. But Moses took his father-in-law's words to heart, and he did all that he said. He started delegating to the right people who were dependable and trustworthy. He trained them. He conferred his power and authority to them before the people that they would be leading. And he made it clear that level of responsibility that they had to manage the people on their own. Jethro taught in Business Management Consultation 101. They didn't have a term for it back then, but that's what we call it now. And we see this in the New Testament as well. Remember that Jesus did the same thing with and for his disciples. He taught them the law. He showed them how to pray and heal. He sent them out on their own to heal and teach and spread the word farther than he would possibly be able to do on his own as one man. We still do this today. The church does not hire a pastor, even though it's Sherry's like superwoman. The church doesn't hire a pastor to do all the work of ministry. The pastor's job is to lead and equip the church to be ministers themselves, to prepare people for their discipleship lives. Just imagine if Bethany pastors were the only ones here doing God's work at Bethany. Bethany would not exist. We would not be here today. Mary Ann and many others have shared with me stories about Bethany's history and the legacy of lay leadership here in this place that's how it gets done. That is Bethany's story. All of us in this together in mutual serving and leading. We're created to do that very thing, to do this together. 
In God's design, it's a beautiful thing. In our current conditions, we're pretty messy. So we're going to go visit the wilderness as we think about our current conditions. Being together in this with God sounds nice. We like it in theory. We all affirm that when we hear the words. But the truth of the matter is we're not in heaven where everything is running smoothly. And God's got all this and we're just singing with the angels. We're in the wilderness. And this is tough going. I love all the ways that wilderness can be defined. And I wish we could spend time just talking about all of our different definitions of wilderness. It's a different picture and place and story for each one of us. So if you're brave enough to claim yours, would you speak it? Would anyone here want to share how they imagine wilderness, what that means for them? Probably not. It's a very personal thing. It could be death. It could be divorce, disease, debt. I'm just on one letter so far. Wilderness can mean any number of things. One of you shared with me a few weeks ago that wilderness was his address. And I think that's a pretty profound answer for all of us. Wilderness is where we live in this world until we finally reach the promised land and our rough journey from slavery into freedom is accomplished. For us, that land ahead is life complete in the kingdom of God, beyond the kingdom of the world and our struggles here. For the wandering Hebrews, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. Except dreaming of milk and honey can leave a bad taste in your mouth and a pit in your stomach when you're breathing in arid sand 24-7, 365 times 40. And that was their story for the 40 years in the wilderness. We really don't have it so bad in the big picture of our own personal wildernesses. I'm guessing that everybody here has eaten today or had access to food, whether they ate or not that you had access to transportation, clean clothes, some shelter, access to educational resources. That's our story. That's not the story for people who are wandering in this land where the Hebrews were wandering. They had the clothes on their back and whatever they could manage to carry and keep from wearing out. The Sinai Peninsula, between those two fingers of water there, is not developed in any way. There's no convenience store. There's no Walmart. It was a vast nothingness, harsh and barren. And it's been called the great and terrible wilderness. It's a desert of rock, gravel, dreary and arid peaks, a place of desolation. About 38 years of the wilderness season was actually spent at Kadesh Barnea, and I don't have the laser pinner, between the, the finger on the right and up to the Mediterranean Sea. That's probably the area where they spent most of their time um, in the wandering, about 38 years. But if you can recall one major characteristic, thinking about the people during these wilderness years, what is it that comes into your mind? How can you describe those people? Whining? That's exactly right. Yeah. Complaining, criticizing, grumbling in the wilderness. That is who they were. Have you ever worked on a team like this? Have you ever led a team like this? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm getting some nods like, oh, yeah. It's easy for us to think about the Hebrews as a bunch of whiners, but they hadn't forgotten life with regular and certain access to food and water and shelter, basic needs of life that most of us take for granted until we don't have them. Where they had lived as slaves was this, oh, I already moved the mat. I'll pop that up for just a second here. That green space, that's where they had come from. 
very fertile land that they were living in that they had left behind in order to find their freedom. The wilderness had sand dunes and granite mountains. Except for the occasional oasis, the wilderness was not fit to sustain life. And Moses, leading the people into that wilderness, was the target for all of their whining, all of their disapproval. God got some of that criticism, and Aaron and even Moses' wife, Zipporah, was hit with the people's complaints. If you've ever been criticized, even if there is reasonable cause for it, it hurts. It's discouraging. When the people looking to you to lead start second-guessing you, or if they want you to get fired, the Hebrews wanted to fire Moses, and he's now known to us as one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. As we think about other biblical leaders, we think ahead to Jesus. He was a leader who was despised, attacked, conspired against. And we know where the Lent season is taking us, to his arrest, his torture, and his death. And these two leaders, Moses and Jesus, at such different times in the lives of the people, they did not quit. In the face of overwhelming numbers of people doubting them, hating them, They faithfully served God to the end of their days on earth. God didn't just come and give the people manna and quill and water in the desert to quiet them up. He supported Moses through their attacks on him by continuing to call him, encourage him, and use him to lead the people in spite of who they were. Jesus sought God out time and time again in prayer to find the sustenance he needed to get through the grumbling in the wilderness. That was his time in the world. In Lent season time, Jesus is almost to Gethsemane, one of the worst wilderness moments in his life, knowing that the enemy is about to take him, and God will carry him through it. For us, that same thing is true. The same resources and supports that Moses and Jesus had are available when we're faced with opponents in our work for God. God is always present with us in our prayers and even when we forget to pray. God's call on us does not stop when we get worn out or discouraged from the negative people in our lives. And admit it, you may be one of those negative people, but don't miss in your own whining that God sends you what you need to endure in the wilderness. Our third lesson, so much of our grumbling And our anger and our frustration really stem from the same emotional place, from fear more than anything else. We're afraid of so much, but we've learned, we've been taught to not admit that we're afraid. And so we turn that emotion, that feeling of fear, into ugly behavior toward others to try to protect ourselves. We mistrust, we abuse, we reject, mostly because we're afraid that we're going to be hurt And so we hurt others first to protect ourselves. On the verge of crossing into the promised land, just a few miles from it, the Hebrews balk. They spied out the land, and sure enough, there is milk, there is honey, there is fruit. And their spies have also seen strong giants, apparently, and reported back about these fierce-looking people that they found. And then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? 
Our wives and our little ones will become booty. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's choose a captain and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the Israelites. And Joshua and Caleb, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the Israelites, The land that we went through as spies is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are no more than bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But the whole congregation threatened to stone them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting. Remember the tent of meeting. We'll come back to that place. He appeared to all the Israelites, and the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me, and how long will they refuse to believe in me, in spite of all the signs that I have done among them. How long, I imagine. Forty years. I cannot begin to imagine the fear that Jesus had in facing arrest and torture and crucifixion, the enemy that he had to face. But he did not rebel against God. He knew God was with him, and he believed, and he endured. There are real things to fear in the world, This is true. Many of you know that better than I do. But count the number of your days. For each of those days, you can name, God has been with you through it. He has brought you to here and now in this time and place, delivered you through the wilderness. And many of you are still smack in the middle of a wilderness season. And God is present in it with you. One of the interesting lessons, our last one from this chapter of Adam Hamilton's book that we've been studying, Moses in the Footsteps of the Reluctant Prophet. I encourage you to read that. But our last lesson is that the people who continually forgot God with them had a very practical and physical reminder that God was with them. And I just lost it, but I'm going to read it to you. The Lord said to Moses, this is from Exodus 25, verses 1, 2, and 8. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to take for me an offering from all whose hearts prompt them to give you shall receive the offering for me and have them make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them. Our lesson number four, the tent of meeting. Twelve chapters in Exodus are spent detailing how the tent of meeting is to be built and furnished. More information than on all the plagues and the exodus from Egypt. So we have to pay attention here. This is important. This is also the Bible's first capital campaign. The people gave so much toward this building project that they had to be instructed to stop giving. They did not live in Austin. This tent is a much bigger deal than just some canvas and stakes and sleeping bags. And if you're interested, you can find all the details in Exodus chapter 25, I think through 39. What matters for us in particular is that it was a visual presence, a concrete symbol of God's presence in the midst of his people. In this tent of meeting or tabernacle, as it came to be called, the presence of an invisible God was represented with this visible sign. Exodus indicates that a cloud would fill the place or be lifted from it to let the people know if they should stay or encamp. And lightning would be in the cloud at night so the people could always see God's presence there in this sacred space, on this holy ground. But not just on a high mountaintop. 
and not just in a burning bush, but where the people lived and moved and had their being, where they gathered to meet God. For almost 300 years, this tabernacle was the place the people worshipped, repented, they brought their offerings and their sacrifices. This place also housed the law, the tablets of the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses for the people, their way of life. It meant to them that the king of the people was not a pharaoh, it was not Moses, but God alone dwelling right there with them. Cut to the New Testament. Jesus has become this indwelling God with us in the world and remains ever so today as we gather where two or more are gathered, he is there with us and within us now preparing us to be the sanctuaries ourselves as we abide in him and he abides in us. God's commandments too are in Jesus at his very core, who he is as the word and the way and the life given to us so that we know how to live with God. Each place of worship today can serve for us to be those reminders. Whether we enter into them like we have this evening or if we simply pass by, each is a tent of meeting where we can be recalled to ourselves as a people of God to find mercy and grace and forgiveness, to worship and pray, to be still and know that God is still our King these four lessons and so much more because we can learn from the wilderness experience we're in. Moses and Jesus might have felt alone, but God went with them. And God sent others to support them and prepared them for the way before it even began. Before sending his people into a dry and weary land, God provided water for their souls. For Moses, it began by floating in a basket on the river, a river of life. For Jesus, it looked like what we see in Mark 1, if we can get that up. Mark 1 should be the last scripture. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. The baptism of Jesus was preparation for the wilderness ahead. For us, like for Mariella and for Uli tonight, it is our baptisms that set us on the way, that prepare us in our covenant with God to journey through whatever wilderness lies ahead. This, the wilderness, is fertile ground for all of us. Even if we feel barren in our circumstances, the living water fills us. We choose the wilderness when we live into our baptism and we say yes to a life of discipleship as a life with God as his people. We say yes to walking away from those things that enslave us in the world. For the Hebrews, that was actually slavery. For us, it is being enslaved to sin, ours or other people's being enslaved to addiction, to materialism, to our own egos. If we leave Egypt, that place of just living into the sin around us and within us, if we leave that place, living in the world suddenly becomes hard, a very hard wilderness because we are living for the kingdom of God and against the worldly temptations and corruption and violence that we now have the eyes to see because we're looking for something else, something better that promised land. 
There are wild beasts that will have their way with us, that will try to break us, that will try to divide us, that will try to destroy us. And there will be angels tending to us along the way. Those people and those things that remind us that we too are children of God and beloved. In the wilderness, is there anything more precious and needful than water? Jesus is the living water that we need now to quench our thirst in a dry and weary land so that we, like Moses, endure before the wilderness and through it and beyond it. The good news, eternal life is promised and God will keep his promise and bring us into the land that we all long for in our spirits on the other side of these lives in the wilderness now. Here endeth our lesson. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, we struggle and we fight and we complain when we feel so lost and stuck in our wilderness places. Help us, God, to not despair, but to remember these lessons that you gave to your people and you give to us, your people, still as we, came li- we claim lives as your beloved children. Let us remember, God, that our hope is in you, that the wilderness comes to an end, and that the holy land, the promised land, is ours to claim through our lives in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.